Welcome back to the Nitty Gritty, episode 120 something. <laughs> I didn't ask you before. We have a doctor in the house. Doctor. Doctor Fidel Montero. I can't roll my R's. That was okay. That was good. Doctor, principal, Ivy League, educated, PhD, business partner, immigrant, first generation high school graduate. Yep. Youngest. This I, needs to be youngest high school principal in the state of Utah, like in the history of Utah. It, the, if this is not one of our most listened to episodes, we have a problem. Yeah. I promise you that if you're looking at this and thinking like, oh, principal, like, uh, I promise you, you you're going to love this one. Yes. Not only is this story cool, but we really talk about some cool topics about our education system, How especially here locally. And teachers. Yep. Funding. A lot teachers of pay. Like, I asked a couple controversial questions that yep. I'm sure some of you will get mad at me for, but <laughs> if you listen to the end, you'll see what we were doing. But it is such an incredible story. And I say that all the time. I get it. But. If you want a true like rags to riches, and I'm not necessarily talking about money, but where he came from to where he is. He read is his first book at a junior in high school. Right. And ended up graduating from Columbia University with a PhD in education. And he didn't, yeah, he didn't learn, he wasn't fluent in English till junior, senior year of high school. So born in the US, moved to Mexico when he was two, moved back to the US at 13. Yeah, 12 or, it's 12 or 13. And lived in a, a labor, labor camp. camp outside of a farming community in Northern California. It, it's amazing. Yep. He's the principal of Tempview, by the way. We didn't yep. say that. But we're going to have him on again. Him and Andrew are working on some really cool things together that we're going to talk about on the next episode. But share this one. Listen to this one. You will learn a lot, especially if you have kids in school in yep. this valley Absolutely. or anywhere in Utah. We are the anywhere. 50th out of 51 states per kid in state funding. We are ranked 50 out of 51 yep. on what we spend on education. Like, And I even I verified that. It is wild. Yep. Anyway, we hope you Enjoy love it. it. Subscribe, comment. We love you. Welcome, Nitty Gritty. This is going to be a fun one today. We have one of my really good friends and actually business partner that we'll talk about that later. Plug, plug. Here it comes. Doctor, and you have to call him doctor because he went to all of that school for nothing. Fidel Montero. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most expensive piece of paper, bro. I'm telling you. It looks kind of cool though. Doesn't it? Your principal, it says doctor. Yeah. He has it on his office too. Don't worry. I do. Yeah. As you should. Yeah. 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 I would spell it out on your name tag. Like not just DR. It would be like (laughs) all caps, D-O-C-T-O-R. That's right. But honestly, Fidel's one of the best dudes that I know and it's been a lot of fun kind of working together on a project and we'll get into that but i want people to get to know fidel a little bit um because your story is incredible and it's it's one you don't hear a lot of and you also have kind of a perspective on you know education in school that most people don't have that are in your situation so you're currently the principal at timview high school that's right you've been a principal at alta Two and, high schools, yeah. And weren't you like the youngest principal in the state when I you was. were at Alta? I was. So he thinks he's- I feel bad for all those kids too, man, <laughs> and their parents. I was like, damn. <laughs> I was, they got me when I was really young. You and know? then in between, you went to UVU, which is the largest university Large, in the state. Yep, and yep. chief of staff, Chief right? of staff, yeah. I worked with the which president. Which is basically like second in charge. 
I worked, I was sort of the ham in the sandwich between the president and his vice president. Yeah. More like bologna, probably. <laughs> it wasn't really good ham, but that's what I try to do. So it's a good sandwich. Fidel, um, we got to start though. We're like growing up because where you are now, people would probably expect a different story sure. than what you have. Yeah. So let's, let's get into a little bit on kind of growing up, family, that kind of stuff. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is, this is a real treat, man. I'm telling you, like, you know, Bam Bam's podcast. <laughs> like, like, you've reached a certain level of success when you sit at this table. Sure, especially being male. Like, be- we, don't, we don't bring in many male guests. Yeah, I'm telling you, bro. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it. So thanks for having me. No, I appreciate the love. And I, I love education. I'm sure we'll get into the subject in a minute. And, and my upbringing definitely, bro, definitely impacts where I'm at today, right? Like, and if you would have told me when I was 16, 17 years old that I'd be a high school principal, I'd tell you, you're, you're freaking crazy. <laughs> I just wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. I was in the principal's office, right? But for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, my, my, my story in some ways is unique. And, and yet in some ways I think is, it, it, it tells the story of a lot of Americans, right? Um, we, I was born in the States. My, my, my parents immigrated here from Mexico, uh, and they came here. My dad had a middle school education, and when he was about 13, his grand, my grandpa was like, dude, you're, you're coming with me to work, right? Like he was the oldest of 11 kids. And, uh, and he came, they came here in the, in the late 50s. Uh, immigration was a different deal back then. You could come and go uh, with, with a lot of ease. There was a lot of good partnerships back then where laborers, it's still that way for us on this side. Yeah. On this side it is. You can go to Canada and you know, I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Kind of ridiculous. I mean, right. The, you know, the borders that we draw around each other, that's a whole other conversation. But, um, so my dad, my dad started coming to the U S when he was really little, uh, when he was 1920 and he was back in Mexico, he'd go back and forth. He met, he met my mother. They got married. He lied to her. He probably told her he, had, he owned a bunch of <laughs> land in Mexico or in the U.S. She believed him. And then, you know, she got here and realized that, you know, he was just a migrant worker, hard worker. But, yeah, didn't, didn't you know, have a lot. Um, and, you know. That, that, was in, that was in California. That was in California. Right? Yeah. So, so camps from California. So m- most people think of California in terms of L.A., San Francisco, maybe San Diego, and forget that there's a massive, you know, community, a massive it's agricultural. Like ten states within ten one. Ten states, right? Like there's so many different parts of California, and, and and they grow, they they feed the rest of the the country, right? I mean, there's so much agriculture in California that people just forget about that. And that's why and, Lake Powell's disappearing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's another. That's another topic, right there. Sam. <laughs> we got a whole bunch. I know. I'm telling you, somebody <laughs> making a list. Put 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 put. Uh, you know. Got it. Yeah. Come on. Brand, start taking some notes, bro. Uh, but yeah, man. So you know, uh, somebody's got to work those fields, right? Somebody's got to prune the trees. Somebody's got to do the fertilizer. Somebody's got to pick the peaches. Somebody's got to, you know, pick up the walnut. Somebody's got to, you know, water and irrigate the rice fields. And and the, you know, all that work is done by migrant workers, yeah. right? Uh, and my dad was was one of those workers. And uh, um. So that's the family that I was born into. If you go to the place, Gridley, California, where I was born, it's a small town, like just about, you know, every small town USA. Um, But my journey kind of took an interesting turn because when I was two, we actually moved back to Mexico. And and, uh, my parents sort of split up for a while. I went back in and my early child memories are 
growing up in Mexico, right? So I didn't learn English uh, until I was t until I came back to the states when I was 12, 13 years old. Um, so yeah, so my first language is Spanish, um, and uh, uh, my early childhood memories. Part of it's a little town called Colima, so it's just south of Guadalajara. It's a little coastal city. It's the smallest. Santos. Los Santos, right? Uh, it's the smallest uh, uh, state in in Mexico, so it's just you know little port city. Um, so yeah, that's so I so I grew up there, and my and my mom my mom was a school teacher, you know, uh, in, Mexico. in Mexico. Okay, and you know the the story of my parents, they were like you know it's is the it's an interesting story, right? Because he he was dirt poor migrant worker over here in in the U.S. My mom was one of the first ladies, so he to wasn't be educated. a landowner. No, he was not a landowner. He lied. <laughs> he lied. Uh, he lied. He got his girl though, man. Um, it's the lady and the tramp story, man. I'm not kidding. Like my 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 parents, dude. That's like crazy. you know, and my mom came from a very dignified family. You know, politicians in her line. You know, uh, all and from Mexico. In Mexico, they're okay. still there, and they, you know, in in Mexico, right? That some of the families they looked down at the people who came to the U.S., right? Because they were like sort of. You know, uh, from a cool. from a social standpoint, they're like you know they're the least educated. They were the least sort of folks that could they didn't own they didn't own anything in Mexico, so that's why they came here, right? Uh, so it was it was an interesting dynamic, right? But um, so yeah, that's that's where I was at, man. And when I was like 12, 13, my mom was like, "Look, we're gonna move back to the U.S., right?" And I was pumped, right? Because at twelve. You, you know, when, you, when you're in Mexico, you look at the U.S. It's like, man, that's the shiz, right? Like, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> McDonald's, you know, all that, all that stuff, right? Uh, little did I know, right, that there's poor people in the U.S., right? right. And I was going to be one of them. Uh, you know, we, and, and when we crossed, when we came to the U.S., although I was an American citizen. I was going to say, you, yeah, you had citizenship because you were I, born here. Yeah, but, you know, hell, I, you know, nobody, I, I didn't know that, right? right. Like, <laughs> and I didn't even know what that meant, right? Like, like I came to, you know, when we came back to the U.S., I still remember the first time I saw my dad's car, right? Like I was so pumped, right? Because I'm like, oh yeah, we go so to like, the U.S. Was your dad still in the U.S. He was and your mom was in Mexico? That's right. So when you went back to Mexico, you were just with your mom down there? That's right. Okay. And, and her family. Yeah. That uh, happens so, a lot. Huh? It happens a lot, bro. Yeah. So, well, so they kept, so, yeah, I started mentioning El Salvador. And I think outside of Mexico, they have more El Salvadoranians in the U.S. than any other country. Right. And, and in, terms because, of, in terms of like the economy, right? If you yeah. look from an economic standpoint, the amount of money that gets transferred oh, for sure. to those countries. But, um, that's so, why yeah, Western so, Union is still a company. That's right. Western it's like, Union how in the hell are they still in business? <laughs> and then I always right. forget. It's like, bro, oh, you, go, you go into one of those little, you know, you go into the Mexican store here down the street, right? right. And, 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 and right when you walk in, there's a, there's an exchange yep. sort of, you know, little desk, right, where you can send money back home, which is real, right? Like, I mean, a lot of families survive that way, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah. A so lot that, of businesses here survive that way. And a lot of businesses way. survive that way. I mean, like, there's companies right now that are starting to try to facilitate the exchange of money, right, that way. So, which well, is cool, cool, right? You got to give people credit for, for for making those things easier. But, yeah, man, so when – when when um when we came back, I had a relationship with my dad, but it was distant, right? You know, like he, he was the guy that lived in the U.S. Uh, so I mostly grew up around my mother, her family, you know, and, and when you grow up that way, you're still an outsider, right? So, you know, I was the... I was the cousin who was born in the U.S. who moved to Mexico, right? Right, right. Who did, whose dad wasn't around. And all my cousins, you know, 
they had their their families. They Look, were, Mex- you were you were kind right? of an outsider, no matter where you were. Bro, I'm telling yeah, you, yeah. in Mexico, you're the outsider because you've gone to yeah, the U.S. And then you come to the U.S. and you're the outsider here, right? Even yeah. within, we moved into what's called a labor camp. I don't, you know, I don't know if any you, you've had any guests. I doubt it who have lived in labor camps in California, but they're just these subsidized. We have a few that should, they, right? <laughs> or should go to like a labor camp for like a prison sentence? Yeah, no, so I'm they kidding. can. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, bro, you go there I'm and it's kidding. and it's. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're camps, that, uh, housing, subsidized housing that, right. the, that the government set up for migrant workers. Um, so, um, Was that will, hard for your mom to go from kind of yeah, middle, Yeah, middle, upper class in Mexico to all of a sudden you're poor in the U.S., yeah. right? And, and it was, man. And, and, you know, this place, Cinderblock, you know, like my backyard was a, was a peach factory where they processed peaches, right? right. Uh, Tri-Valley Growers. And, you know, I, I hate those little freaking peach cans, right? Because <laughs> the smell of them, dude, when you, when you, when you grow up smelling that, sh- that syrup, oh, yeah. you know, all day long, especially in the summer in California, and then you're smelling Gross. peach syrup, you know what I'm saying? It's the worst, man. So I hope you don't do that with your, with your pies. I hope yeah. you use real peaches, <laughs> not those fake ones, man. Never. Uh, but That's funny. Cause if I ever did pie. It would be peach pie. It'd be I real, love right? peach pie. But yeah, would never. <laughs> I'll use canned nacho cheese all day long. I love that crap. <laughs> but not canned not peaches. Not canned peaches. Never. No, Wait, so why, sorry. Why did you move back to the U.S.? So my parents decided to get back together. Oh, yeah, that my parents loved. decided to get, well. So did he tell her he finally bought some land? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> lied again? He lied again, dude. My, yeah, my dad was a salesman, man. He was good. <laughs> Until the guy could, he had middle school education, but he could sell lights to an Eskimo, man. <laughs> that, is that bad? That's probably bad to say, you know what I mean? But Let's you know. not worry, but come on, people. <laughs> but uh, no, my dad My dad could sell, bro. My dad could sell, and, and he certainly sold my mother on stuff. Um, yeah, so they just, you know, from, a, I think they wanted to bring the family back together. That's awesome. Um, um, and they came, you know, so it, it was like, you know, we had been apart for about 10 years, you know, and, and I have four sisters. So I was the, you know, they sort of, yeah, they just wanted to live together again. Are you, are you the oldest? I'm in the middle, bro. The middle. So four Latina sisters. Wow. I'm telling you. That's a, that, again, wow. that, you can do a podcast. So you know conflict topic. resolution. You're good at it. <laughs> Listen, man. Well, <laughs> it was like, yeah. It, <laughs> conflict resolution 101. It started at, you know, with, with my sisters. And I love them, and they're great. But yeah, it was, they, they knew, they, they knew who was in charge, and it wasn't me. Yeah. But um, they, uh, so yeah, so when they came back together, that, that was a whole different experience, right? Because talk about being an outsider. All of a sudden, you come to the US, you're poor. When you go to the labor camp, even within the labor camp, right? You've got Latino kids, Mexican kids. Most of them were Mexican, Mexican American, who you know they've been living there since they were little. So all of a sudden, you're the outsider coming into that space. You go to school and you don't speak English, right? So you're the outsider in that environment, and it, it gets tricky, right? On on the one hand, it's tricky, and yet in terms of you know survival skills, right? You sort of learn. Okay, I, you sort of learn to how to fit in in different right. groups you have to other otherwise you know you get sort of excluded uh I, I'm, I'm telling you i it was i was really fortunate that i went to that i moved into a small community because i didn't get lost in the shuffle right i can't imagine what life would have been if we just moved to like a larger urban city where you know uh a lot of immigrant kids are sort of segregated right um there there's just they don't people don't get to know them right and and the little town that i moved into you know, it's one of those towns where you can play on the football team, you can be, you know, 
on the band. I mean, you do everything, right? Because it's so small, right? Like Heber, where you grew up, right? right? Cam, Cam was like captain of the of the of the Gee Club and yeah, chess. you know chess, yeah. and then played yeah. basketball, right? You can do everything, the drama. right? So you don't get lost, right? You don't yeah. get lost, bro. Like, and and that was actually, I was really, I benefited from that, right? Because I I got to know people uh, who looked out for you. They invite you to do stuff, to play sports. Um, See, but, you you bring up an interesting point, like, like <clears throat> where I grew up in, like Long Beach, for example, and, and even Huntington Beach. Like the Hispanic community grew and grew and grew. But you talk about gangs, like, right? That's how that happens. Like well, you move into a bigger place like that, and you don't have anybody watching your back. You don't have anybody like you have nothing to do. Yeah, you're not getting on sports teams. You're not gangs become your community, and right? It becomes that's community, what happens. right? Uh, and and uh, you know, in these smaller towns, uh, there's there was opportunity for me to get involved, right? right? That's why I've always been a huge advocate of youth sports, of kids getting involved in something, right? Because it gives them a sense of community. And uh, so yeah, so that's sort of. That was my upbringing. I, I went from, uh, you know, being in, being in Mexico to coming to the U.S., uh, learning English. That's that's hard, bro. Like like I didn't read my first book till I think I was a junior in high school, right? I just faked it, man. I just learning wow. English would be it's a pain, bro. Like learning Spanish is so much easier. So much right, easier. like English is really the stupidest language it, ever, it, it's, ever it's made. Messed up, man. Uh, yeah, it's hard. Uh, and I'm still learning it, right? I'm still, you know, I still remember the first time I told somebody that they were full of shit. Right? Can I can I swear in the podcast? Right? I actually used the word bullshit, right? Because right. I heard it, right? And I was like, I know bullshit. it just doesn't really feel the it same. It didn't when feel it's not the same. I was like, language. what does that mean, right? So finally, a friend of mine explained to me, oh, well, somebody's lying to you. You say that's bullshit, right? And I still remember <laughs> using it in context, right? I was right. Pl- I was playing with this kid. What was it? What was his name? Ignacio, right? Nacho. Uh, and, <laughs> and we're playing marbles, right? So we were in the labor camp, right? And the kid cheated, right? He like, you know, we were, can't remember what game we were playing. I was like, bro, this was bullshit, bro. <laughs> and I still remember using the word in context. I was like, I was so proud of myself. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but it, 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 it was, uh, it was fun, man. Listen, you don't know any different when you're poor, right? right. You don't know any different when you go to the store and, uh, you know, you want something and, you know, maybe you have to put it in your pocket because, you know, you don't have any money, right? Or even in high school, right? I still remember I played football. Uh, I still remember going on trips and we stopped to eat at McDonald's after the game and I was starving, bro, but I didn't have any money, right? So I tell the guys, no, listen, I'm not hungry, right? And I'm sitting there in my chair, like my stomach's, you know, growling because, uh-huh. you know, but you just can't afford stuff, right? Right. Um, I, you know, and my parents were always working, right? So they, they, uh, they didn't come to a lot of stuff. I remember sneaking my parents into the football game my senior year because I hadn't seen me play, right? And I still remember telling them, hey, meet me here. And but hold on, even just that, like, you had to sneak your parents into a football game your senior year. My like, senior year. You right. know what I mean? Like, how many kids grow up? I mean, my Wait, kids. Like, If your kid's on the football team, do you still have to pay for tickets? You got to pay for tickets, right? <laughs> I didn't think you did. But even that, just, just think about the different dynamics, That's right? Crazy. Like, growing up, like, you just don't appreciate how different circumstances can be. Listen, bro, today... Especially as, here. As yeah. parents, right? We we got parents filming practice, right? Like, and, and, and analyzing practice with their kids. And our involvement... It's out of control. It's, it's, it, it, again, yeah, another conversation, right? Um, but I think we should have that one. We should have that one today, <laughs> Cam. But yeah, I mean, my parents, you know, they, they worked, right? That was what they, that, that's what they were doing. Right. They worked. Uh, 
my senior year, they came to a couple of games. Again, I had to sneak them in, right? Because you know they they didn't have money to pay for the right. gate, right? Um, so that that but that was normal, right? That was normal. So um, even into your senior year, I mean, financially things hadn't really changed in your life much. No, my dad, my dad, when my dad passed away, I don't think he made over twenty thousand dollars his entire life, right? Um, Crazy. He, uh, uh, and and he there there was a season where he made really good money. Um, and but then he lost it all, right? He became a, a contractor for a while, where he he would hire guys to go do the work for for uh, larger farms, right? But then that didn't that didn't last very long. That was in the in the late seventies, um, and uh, but yeah, after that he you know you know he made he he got paid by the hour, right? Pruning trees, picking peaches, whatever. And it, again, it's hard work, man. That, that, Did your mom teach ooh. when she came to the U.S.? No, because she didn't. She didn't have any English, right? And and okay. that's part. You know, part of the challenge when immigrants come to the U.S. That some of them come with a ton of capital, right? Social capital, education, right? But when they come here, we treat them as you know, totally. like you know, like if they don't know anything, You'd be right? a doctor. You can be a doctor, right? And 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 then you know you find yourself as a custodian, right? And then people treat you that way. Um, so so my mother, you know, she she didn't she didn't speak English, right? So she uh, she wasn't able to teach. She she did emphasize literacy in the home, right? Which was one of the cool things that for me made a big difference, right? She read to us a lot. She valued sort of you know books and an idea so we were so like when did education become important i mean it sounds like even through high school it wasn't really yeah i'm top it, of it, mind. it wasn't you know i i got a 2.0 so i could play sports right oh, that, that was that i was, know somebody that, that, that was the goal <laughs> oh, wait, Cam. No, he didn't even do that <laughs> i made all the teams and i got kicked off like a month later when the yeah, that, came that was the goal i mean um honestly i I didn't value edu- I didn't realize the potential that education had probably till later on, right? My my senior year in high school, I had a counselor who was like he was like, "Look, what what are your plans after high school?" And I and I didn't have a whole lot of a lot of plans, right? And he's like, "Why don't you go take the ACT, right?" And I was like, "Bro, how do you spell that?" <laughs> you know, like like what do you mean by that, right? And and I think I don't, he he must have signed me up for it, right? Cuz I didn't sign up for it. He's like, "Look, go take this test." This is where you got to go. And, it, you know, I stayed up Friday night, you know, chilling, listening to big, you know, like to Tupac. And, and you know, <laughs> that, was, that was the era, real, right? Real music. Dr. Dre. I, I love these kids. They walk around with their, with their Tupac shirts, you know. Right. Or, 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 uh, They've probably never even listened to them. Yeah, or Biggie, right? He's got a vintage uh, <laughs> shop. <laughs> that, was, that was, you know, mid-90s, right? That's what we were listening to. But uh, stayed up that night, when took the test. I, I, I got my name right, I'm sure, right? <laughs> But here's the thing, right? The, those tests, they were the gatekeepers, right? If you took a test, then all of a sudden you could apply for a, for a four-year college. Right. There were some programs uh, that uh, that were intended in, at that point, at that time in California, they were intended to help uh, first-generation kids, you know, sort of, you know, go to college. Uh, so because I took that test, I got in some list. I got invited to go to a – it was a summer bridge program at Cal State Chico where I went. Um, and, and that was a whole different experience, right? Like – Going to going onto a college campus, having people sort of mentor you, little things like, bro, when you go to college, like it's not so much what you know, it's like how you approach it, right? So they taught me the business of college. Like, look, go introduce yourself to a professor, let them get to know your name, sit in the front row, ask a question every class. So like, you know, if you have an issue with a grade, then you can go talk to the professor and they know you, stuff like that, right? Right. Um, they taught you how to study, and that was the first time that sort of like I was like, okay, I can I can do school, right? Before that, 
I, I think teachers were nice to me, right? And 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 the expectations in my high school weren't very high. It was it's a small school. I don't you know they in comparison to like the school that I that I lead now. They didn't. They didn't have a lot of. They didn't have any advanced courses. They didn't have any any of that kind of stuff, right? So going to college for that, you know, that summer between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, it, it was a, it was a wonderful sort of bridge, right? That that gave me great skills. Um, Cal State Chico was a crazy place, man. It was the number one party school in the country, right at the time. So you know, uh, another another cool uh, topic camp that we can tackle later, uh, but. So how did you go from there to BYU? That's a good question, bro, because from the number one party school in the country to BYU, right? Right. Uh, you know, uh, to be honest, right, like um, I, I wasn't a very religious guy growing up, but my parents, my mom was Catholic, and and um, they they joined the LDS church when, um, when they were, uh, I think they were... My mom was pregnant with me when she was baptized, right? Okay. So I've been baptized like three times. Right? Just in case. <laughs> you're good. I'm telling you, bro, I got like backup insurance. Yeah, you're right. You know? uh, she was baptized when I was born. Then I was baptized Catholic, Mormon. You know, so I, I, I've, I've got some coverage, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, there's some good stuff there. But yeah, no, so so my parents joined the church. I think, honestly, I think it was it was, it was was a good business move for my dad because the, the LDS community owned a lot of land in, in Northern California, farms, right? right. So I think my dad was like, dude, how do I get this contract, bro? And 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 he joined the church, right? And he got the contract. Dunk. I'm telling you, right? That's when he was doing the contracting stuff, yeah. right? The contracting business. Um, It'd be so easy to be a missionary up there. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> got something for you. Listen. No, so so um, you know, when I was when I went to college, um, I blew up my knee, right, playing football, which, you know, that that did a job on me. And then I had Three really cl close friends of mine pass away, right? So, you know, at 19, it, I was a mess, right? I was thinking like, holy cow, man, you know, these dudes who I know well, who I grew up with, who died, like literally at 18, 19. How'd they die? Just different goofy stuff, man. Different, different. They had one of them drowned. Another one was in a, in a car accident. He was, he was drinking. Um, another one was in a farming accident. Um, so when that stuff happened right at 19, I just started sort of like saying, gosh, this is crazy, right? It's, there's got to be more to life than like partying at Chico State, right? And I actually had a friend of mine who was LDS who didn't, you know, we were really close he didn't know my family was LDS, you know, because we weren't really like active, you know, members. Um, and he, he had gone on a mission, right? So, you know, it was crazy, bro. At 19, I was like, you know what? Maybe I had to do one of those mission things, right? Like I should, maybe I should do that thing, wow. right? And I went in and I, and I talked to, to uh, the bishop at the time. My, I, you know, my hair was bald. I had earrings and I was like, bro, <laughs> how do you do, how do you do those mission things, right? <laughs> And, you know, uh, he helped me, right? Like, he helped me kind of get through it. And he's like, well, you know, have you ever read the Book of Mormon? I was like, what is that? Uh, you know, and it, I ended up in Texas out of all places, right, serving an LDS mission. I still remember my, I, m like, I think it was like my second day on the, on the, on the field. I left my companion because I heard that Tupac had died, right? <laughs> and I was so devastated, bro. Oh, like, and I had to go find the newspaper, right? <laughs> and my and then my like my companion was like from Arizona, one of those guys, you know. He was like a straight arrow. <laughs> he was gonna be prophet of the church, you know. He's like, if right, probably or or what's that other snowflake that yeah, yeah, yeah. snowflake? <laughs> uh, but you know, so I left them and because I had to go buy the newspaper to read about Tupac, right? But that was the state of mind that I was in. Uh, <laughs> 
But, you know, after after the mission, uh, I ended, back to your question, but I ended up at BYU. My mission president was like, look, why don't you why don't you consider going to BYU? And I was like, BYU, bro. I was like, old, like the only kids that I know that went to BYU that went to my high school, like we're not it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you want me to go to BYU? Like, are you for real? And, you know, I wasn't f- totally wrong, <laughs> you know. You're, but I, you're still right. Uh, but I ended up coming <laughs> to BYU, man. Like, like uh, by that point, I had gone to college for about a year and a half, you know, and I start, and I, and I was just like a little kid, like, when I, from a learning standpoint, right, at a candy shop. Like, stuff started to make sense. Like, I read something. I was like, damn, like, words actually tell you something when you read, right? Uh, I started <laughs> writing and expressing myself in a way that, like, like it was cool, right? I started studying. I I, I grabbed on to sort of uh, economics. I loved econ, right? And how I got to back of, you up. I have to ask a question. So, yeah, how yeah. do you go from two like just to play sports, to like actually caring about? Because you go to Chico State, uh, yeah. But like, so there's some, you get in doesn't mean like all of a sudden. I, so I there's wanna, something. There's something. In, there's actually a really. There's a good body of research that shows that when you learn a second language, right, it takes you about seven years five to seven years to learn academic language. It takes you about one to two years to learn what's called your basic interpersonal skills, right? Where you just, where you can conversate, right? Missionary kind of language. But to learn academic language, it takes five to seven years. I'm telling you that because by about my senior year in high school, that was about year five, year six that I had been here in the U.S. So that academic language started kicking in right at that point. So you right? can actually understand. What so that's what so I'm your saying. Your grades weren't because see, I just assumed you were doing it like me. It's like it's funny. Do you know how many kids? How many smart kids get two point They're smart enough to just stay right above the line. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, these yeah. kids would probably be four point Like I'm a smart guy, but like I just hated school. Yeah, it, but it, I so I wondered like was it a language thing or was it just like well, it was a combination of things right like right. school I mean you know school was was hard you know in terms of like um I mean you, you know when you don't Social speak language, a language you're that. like whoa bro like what are you talking about right yeah. like you just don't understand your teachers so for me like by year five year six I started actually understanding what I was supposed to be reading I I started to sort of be able to express That's myself right you know from a writing standpoint. <laughs> And, and I actually enjoyed it, right? Like, I, I finally discovered that learning was, was sort of fun, right, for me, you know. And, and this was, by that point, I was 18, 19, right? Um, and so, in answer to your question, right, like, I, I got through high school pu- at a pure, like, just charisma, I guess, or because it was a small town, right, and everybody got good grades. Uh, yeah, again, <laughs> the expectations weren't very high in my right. high school, right? And And now, having said that, right, I had good relationships with my teachers, right? They were my coaches. And and talk about for me what mattered, right? Getting me through high school. It was the relationships. It had nothing to do with what I was learning, right? We put so much stock into, you know, does my child know, you know, calculus when they leave high school? And it's like, well, do do they know how to build relationships, right? So for well, think me think about the different cultures, like the different you had parents split for ten years, you lived in the US, then to Mexico, yeah. then back to the US, then your parents are back together, then a religion. It's like I'm telling dude, you, you knew bro. you knew you learned more just by doing that than anything you were going to learn. Yeah, that or that's why I still go to a therapist, man. You know, <laughs> well, that's I'm not still a bad working thing. it out. That's you know? not a bad, but like you got that's survival mode, right? It like, was no that you, that's more education than that will suit you better than. What's well, more practical? It's way more practical. Well, listen, when I when I think back of what helps me today 
as a professional, what helps me as a father, what helps me, you know, a, 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 as a friend, as a brother. It, it's certainly not what I learned in school, right? It's not calculus. It, it, no, it's not calculus. I, you know, yeah, don't put calculus in front of me. Um, but it was like, yeah, how do you get through hard stuff, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you sort of, you know, figure out. You know, I blew up my knee, like I mentioned, my senior year in high school. I still remember my parents weren't at that game, right? right. I'm sitting in a freaking wow. in in a car, right in a, in a in a hospital, in excuse me, in a uh, ambulance. Ambulance, and you know, I'm by myself, right? In the in the in the paramedics, like, hey, are your parents here? I'm like, well, no, they they weren't able to come, right? We're, it was an away game, and so I'm in that. So they're like, okay, well, so get you're out to of the town hospital. too. We're out of town, Jeez. right? So, I'm, so then I'm calling my parents from the hospital. I'm like, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm at the hospital. I blew up my knee, but that kind of stuff, like, that's what makes you grow up, right? It's it's stuff that like just pushes you, like, and you don't realize you're getting pushed. You know what I mean? Until well, because it, sort of it is, you have to look back to see it, right? Right, exactly. Like, because I mean, so me growing up, my parents get divorced. I go to five different grade schools in six years. For me, it was just normal, right? Right. It's like, oh, that's, that's right. it's like change was the only constant thing, and so not until you look look back that you're like, oh, that wasn't normal. Not everyone was doing right. that. Not everyone went to a different school every year. That's right. You know, but all the stuff you learn is it's, a huge benefit. It's irreplaceable. It is. So yeah, dude. Like so. It, so, so now you're at BYU, right? Are you I'm a ca- fish out of water. Are you man. taking <laughs> Are you taking education seriously at this point? Yeah, by that point, I was, I, you know, I was, I was interested, right, in 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 learning, and more than anything, right, I, I I was interested in what education can do for me, right. At that point, I finally figured out, okay, look, I guess a college degree will get you money, right. Uh, it, it, my knowledge was still limited, and I, um, by that point, I was, I, I said, look, what, what's the job where I can make the most money, right? How are you and, paying for school right now? You know, it was, it was, I, I got a lot of grants, okay. right? Uh, thank goodness for Pell grants, think in, in scholarships, by you know, because it wasn't like I could go to home to my parents. Hey, I need, can you write me a, yeah, you know, five thousand dollar <laughs> right. check for school, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, it was, it was Pell grants, it was, it was private scholarships. Okay. Um. That sort of got me through school, right? The one, yeah. So, um, and by that point, I, I was thinking that I wanted to be a stockbroker. I just looked up, hey, who makes the most money? You know, which college degree? And I was, you know, being a stockbroker, right? Go to yep. New York. Um, and, you know, what was interesting, what happened in, in this, you know, in ter- why, how I ended up in education, because uh, it certainly wasn't about the money, right? Somebody <laughs> should have told me that part. Uh, I... Uh, I was I was working at an elementary school as a playground supervisor, right? Dunking on the little sixth graders, right? Like, All right, you little frickers. You know, here I come down the lane, right? And uh and I was so I was you know, it's the coolest job, right? Working at this little middle school here in Provo or elementary school. And I'm I'm in the hallway and I met this little this lady, right? She was in there kind of walking around started talking to her i realized that she was from la and she was visiting uh provo because this school timpanogos was implementing um a a school reform framework that that came out of this group out of los angeles so she was a consultant for this group and like in a 10-minute conversation she invited me to do an internship in la right and i was like okay cool i didn't I wasn't studying education or thinking education at the time. I was just working at the elementary school, right? As a like I said, I was the best playground supervisor in America, <laughs> and uh, she she had me. She invited me to do this job in L.A. and I, and I went out there that summer 
working for this firm that was working with some of the most at-risk schools in California, right? So I ended up working in South Central, Los Angeles, in Compton, California, uh, in the San Fernando Valley, working with schools that were trying to turn around and, and make improvements, right, with the framework that this consulting group was sort of, you know, um, uh, helping them with. And so that was my sort of my first experience with education, right? And and it just sort of like I'm telling you, bro, like being there and, and seeing what good leadership could do, it also it like just like sparked my interest, right? And I was like, dang, like there's some work to do here, right? Because, you know, I'm walking through these schools and I'm seeing all these kids who just mirror back to me um how I grew up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and yet they were in schools that were just shitty, right? Like they weren't they weren't you know, because they're in bigger cities. To your bigger point, cities, they're just kind of getting lost. Right. In system. Poor cities. Yeah. Poor cities. Like every right. place you just mentioned. It's yeah. like San Fernando Valley, like all that. Yeah. Then, yeah. Like so and 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 yeah, what's crazy, those those were there's schools like that here in, in Utah, right? All yeah. over the place. Um so that was my first sort of experience with education. It sort of happened by by chance, uh, or serendipitously with I would meet, meeting Greta Pruitt. Um I came back to school and I was like, dude, I'm going to go into education. And and I was like, if there's a God out there, please know that I'm changing my major. I'm going into a career where I'm not making any money. You say two different prayers. Right. The Catholic God. I, I prayed to both. God. And, and right. you know, to make sure I got heard. Uh, you know, um, and uh, I... Uh, yeah, dude, and I and I changed my major to a teaching uh, degree, and and I continued to I continued my affiliation with this company out of out of LA. It was called the Urban Learning Centers, and and got a teaching license, got a job teaching middle school right off the bat, and so that's sort of, that's sort of like that was my start into into education. So out of so you graduated wow. college, and then that was your first job out there, or were you working for them while you were in? I was college? working with them while I was in college. Okay, yeah, which was kind of interesting because I'd go work with schools. As a you know twenty twenty one year old kid who didn't know anything about education, but I'd go help principals, you know, change their schools, right? Yeah, and and it, which was nuts. That was that was crazy. Um, so yeah, so that was sort of my first experience going into a, a, in in sort of yeah, just getting my feet wet in the field of education. Okay. But it had to do with, I mean, I think working out in L A. Um, and just having this sort of moment where it's like, okay, what are you going to do with your career? What, what do you want to do? Like, do you really want to go make all this money or do you want to actually make an impact, right? Have, make a difference. And it, it, it was like this gravitational pull, right, towards towards that field. And and it's been awesome, man. I've, I've, I've loved it, you know. This so is, when did when did Ivy League come into play? Um, I like, like when did, yeah. So, masters so I started teaching, I got my bachelor, started teaching. And, and then I, and then I, I started to realize that the biggest impact on a school is is who leads it, right? Like so not the biggest, just like not just a teacher, right? That's right. Now teachers make a huge difference, right? Sure. Obviously, but if you're talking about uh, the person who has the largest impact in in education and in schools, is is those who lead it, principals, right? Yeah. And and that started to become pretty apparent, right? And again, don't I don't want to be misunderstood. Teachers make a huge difference, but a teacher in a school of twenty five hundred kids might impact a hundred kids yeah. or a, or two hundred kids, uh, and and yet the principal is impacting that that entire group. Yep. So yeah, so that's when I started sort of, you know, getting an interest in becoming a school leader, right? So then I started looking up sort of. Okay, well, where can I get my best education for that? Right, um, I, I did get a master's at, at BYU, um, um, but then I also I, I I 
I figured that Stanford, Columbia, uh, and Harvard were like the top schools that were educating the best educational leaders okay. in, in this country, right? And I said, what the hell? Why not? I'm going to apply to one of those places and go get a doctoral degree, right? And uh, and, and I and listen, man, I'm, I, again, it, <clears throat> my senior year in high school, if you were to say, what's an Ivy League school? And I'd be like, I, what, what, I don't know. What You tell me, right? Yeah. So I, when I looked up top, you know, the top uh, leadership programs in the country, Columbia was at the very top, Teachers College. Um, and, and, and I, was, I was naive enough to think that I could get in, right? Yeah. And, and so that's, I applied, and, um, and there was a program that was specifically for, uh, it, it was for, the urban, for people that wanted to be urban uh, superintendents, right? And um, I applied to that program, and I think they had like, I can't remember, like I heard at one point like 500 applicants or something, <laughs> and they took a group of 10 of us, uh, 10 or 12 of us to be part of the, the cohort. And yeah, I found myself, you know, accepted to Columbia University, right? Um, when I told my mother I was going to school at Columbia, she's like, she's like, that's kind of dumb. Out of all the <laughs> universities in this country, you can go to Columbia, right? And, and uh, she's like, why? That's, that's where all know. the money is, mom. <laughs> I, right? You heard it, of Pablo? Well, that, that's right. <laughs> you know, she thought I was going into a different kind of business, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it wasn't our culture, right? Like, like, uh, some families, you know, they're three generation Ivy league, four yep. generation Ivy league, you know, families, um, you know, or legacy families. That's like the admissions colleges like to label them, right? Uh, uh you're a legacy <clears throat> student, <throat> you know? <laughs> so just, you know, cause your grandpa went there or they donate a lot of money. Right? right. So for me, I was, yeah, man, it was, I was charting a new territory. Right. Um, and and by that point, I, you know, I had gotten a bachelor's. Um, I sort of had a sense of education, and I did I did well in school. It, it came easy, right? You did your master's too by that point, right? Yeah, right, right. So you know, and go, so going to school in New York was was remarkable, bro. Like I had never been east of of nine hundred east, right? Um, <laughs> so like literally, right? Well, I was you know by the time I got into Columbia, I was you know in my in my uh, late twenties. And, uh, yeah, so, so flying to New York was a whole different experience. I still remember getting to New York and I had an address, right. And it was like 123rd between Amsterdam and Broadway. Didn't mean a, a damn thing to me. I was like, <laughs> what is it? Just an address. Right. And I remember, you know, getting there and, uh, I, I had never felt lonelier. Right. Cause like you get to the city and it's just buzzing, right? Like people everywhere, everybody's running around, and you don't know a soul, right? Like you don't know anybody, right? So you show up and you just have an address. And uh, but again, right? Talk about doing hard things, right? Like um, in, in some ways, it wasn't a lot different than moving to the U.S., right? I just, you know, I showed up to New York and I was like, I'm here to do school, right? And and uh, and honestly, that was probably one of the, from an educational standpoint, that was one of the coolest experiences, right? I got to study with some of the best educators in this country. Uh, my classmates are leading some of the largest. Uh, you know, uh, school districts in America. I've had some, some of my classmates, one of them, in, like right now, she or she was uh, over all of curriculum for New York City schools. Um, 
you know, my one of my uh, uh, roommates was uh, the student body president at Stanford, worked with Condoleezza Rice. Uh, it, it was cool, man. I got, you know, I and again. Condi. Was you, yeah, <laughs> I call sh- her Condi. Yeah. I shook her hand twice. You shook her hand. We met her. Yeah. You met her. Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man. She welcomed it was, us to uh, the Masters. Yeah. What, <laughs> no what big deal. She welcomed us to the Masters. It's a tradition <laughs> unlike any other. It's fine. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> So yeah, man, it, it, I'm telling you, man, like my, uh, and here we are, right? Like, like, uh, still trying to make, create change in schools. Um, you know, applying all the stuff that I've learned, um, you know, the relationships run deep, right. With some of my best friends that I, that I've met were, you know, in New York, you know, um, and classmates that I had. So, um, what's the most frustrating thing for you coming back now, you've, you know, back into maybe high school experiencing the highest form of education, right? So you experienced this highest form yeah. of education, just, just the structure of it from what I've learned from you. Cause I definitely didn't do that, but talking to you about just the structure, like to get your doctor, it's not a multiple test quiz, multiple choice. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. body of work, you know, like, like how do you, how do you take that and bring it into the structure of yeah. high school? Well, you know, if you're talking about, I mean, you know, you can spend a day talking about some of the frustrating aspects of, of education. Um, I, I think perhaps one of the most difficult things for me to see, right. Is that as amazing of these as opportunities as I've had, a lot of that stuff happened by chance. Right. I mean, you know, it, 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 it wasn't designed, you know, the opportunities weren't by design, if you may, right? Like, like you couldn't confidently tell a kid, you couldn't confidently look at yourself as a senior in high school and say, this is how you're going to do this. Is that what you're talking about? Well, and, and, and the systems that we have in place, right? The systems that we have in place in schools uh, are not necessarily designed to, to create opportunity for kids. You know what I mean? And a lot of times when, when folks reach a certain level of success, either happens because of your your social capital that you come with because of the home that you were born into or in the size of your garage uh, it comes because you had just you know good luck you know opportunities presented themselves out of luck and 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 uh, um, or again you you come from from families that have you know that opened up doors for you right I tell I tell folks all the time that our best students are not necessarily our best students. They're, they have the best managers, right? They have the best, you know, they ha- at home. What is that? Oh, okay. At home, right? They've got parents who understand how the system works, who open up doors for they them. They know the rules who, of the game. They know the rules of the game. They advocate for them, right? Um, and nothing against that, right? I mean, I, They're you know. They're a pain in the ass, aren't they? Many of them are a pain <laughs> in the ass. Oh, man. I'm telling you. A lot of I wonderful, I look. I could never. A lot, lot of good families, but then some of the stuff that people worry about, right, for their kids, a lot of it is fear-based. Right, yeah. they're, they're, they they they're afraid that their kids are not going to have the same level of success, so they they try to protect it, right? Try to protect that sort of privilege that they have, right? And and when Just you live your life that way, themselves. well, when you live your life, when you live your life protecting, 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 you become fearful, right? So you're right. constantly projecting, you're constantly sort of, you know, trying to protect your little, you know, piece of the pie. Does that make sense? Yeah, but when you do that, you what sucks is like. Try sending that kid to Columbia. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, yeah. they may get in, but yeah. I mean, the fact that you could just show up, like, you think about all those things that you learn not having 
That's right. Somebody That's just right. hanging over your shoulder. That's right. You know what I mean? That's Plus, right. it sounds like there's a couple things that really stand out. I don't know your parents, but it sounds like you got like a pretty good mix of both of them. Yes. Because you got the salesman side. <laughs> you got the charisma. But it's interesting that you your mom was a teacher, right? That's right. So how cool is that? Well, listen, man, it, I got the best of both worlds. That's right? what I'm saying. Um, Except in, in the land. You didn't get the land. I didn't get <laughs> any damn land. The land. I'm still mad at my dad over yeah, there, you know? What a jerk. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I got I got really the best of both worlds, right? I, I, I had enough literacy. I had enough sort of appreciation for learning through my mother. Right. And, and, and from my dad, man, the dude was just a hustler, right? Just a hustler. And in terms of work ethic, in terms of just like getting up every morning, not giving a damn about where you're going to go work, finding work. Uh, and, and just, you know, if there's one characteristic about my family uh, that I think got us through is we laughed a lot, bro. Yeah. Which, we, you know, we didn't take things too too serious. You know what I mean? We, we were dirt poor, you know. If, uh, you know, we knew when the bill collectors would show up to the house who tell us, hey, you got a day to pay your electricity bill, otherwise we have to cut it. You know, we'd laugh about that kind of stuff, right? No big deal. If somebody came to my house now and they're like, hey, you you don't pay your bill by tomorrow, we're going to cut your electricity, we'd be freaking out, right? Right. Like my dad was like, hey, let's just turn up the music, you know, tell them I'm not (laughs) here, you know. I know that, you know, I know Larry, he's going to come again, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, there was something about, coping with poverty with laughter you know that that uh we don't know how to deal with that stuff today right we're so worried we're we're, we're overly anxious as a, as a society and i think wealth does that to you when you're when you're wealthy you all of a sudden try to protect that wealth so it makes you anxious it makes you judgmental it makes you project fear right and and when you think you're losing that that you know, it, it creates, it, it messes with your head, right? As opposed to saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have this. It could go any, any moment, and I'm gonna live my life with, with abundance, but with an abundance of giving, right, and abundance of service. That's a whole different paradigm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, so growing up in a home, I think, I, you know, back to your point, right? I feel like I got the best of both worlds from my parents in that sense. Right. Well, what's crazy too is, I mean, look at Tint View. I mean. I had no idea until we, you know, we've spent the last year and a half working on stuff together. I didn't realize all the stuff you're doing in Tim but also like the challenges of Tim right? Like, yeah, I mean, Tim you know, it, I think Tim is emblematic, right? Of, of, of a lot of society. Cause it's so like, like, like I went to high school here. I hear yeah, Tim yeah. and I just think of rich kids on the hill. Yeah. Right. Right. Like that's just, that's the first thought that comes in. Yep. But it's not. It I used mean, to be that way, though. There is that. There is that. Right? It's there, but it's crazy how different it well, is. Well, you know, TeamView is a good case study. And for those of you, for your listeners who won't, they're not, you know, understanding what TeamView is. TeamView is just, it's a high school here in, 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 in this community that, uh, you know, when it was first built and, and through the first probably 30 years of its existence, it was a very affluent, right. you know, community, a very affluent, uh, you know, uh, uh, demographic of students, right? Um, Are the boundaries always the same. Um, they've they've changed a little bit, but but the city has changed a lot too, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. And like, if the boundaries went out that far, didn't mean there was a lot of people there yet. That's but right. Because like, we've grown that's and right. that's kind of filled in. You you know, I, so it. I, I think if you look at the history of of our school, it tells the story of the community, right? Uh, you know, it's become more diverse. You know, more poverty in the community. But you also have had more, you know, you have more wealth as well, right? I think you have some wealthier folks and and folks that are a lot, you know, 
that but are a lot more poor as what's well. What's been cool though too is you've talked a lot about like the diversity of the students, but mm-hmm. also of your staff. That's right. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I've, you know, one of the things that we sort of have prided ourselves in as a leadership team has been to try to hire, when we have the opportunity to hire folks, to try to diversify, you know, who, who's teaching our kids, right? And um, because as, as a student, if you're, if you're a student of color, if you're a student who grew up like I grew up, um, you know, one connection with an adult in your high school that can relate to you can, can mean the difference between, you know, you going to college or you going, you know, doing something after high school or or just feeling completely disconnected, right? Uh, so, yeah, when, when almost 40% of your kids, you know, live in poverty, when almost, you know, 40% of your kids are diverse, you want to have staff, hopefully, that 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 represent you know uh, some of those demographics. So yeah, we've tried to diversify our staff and make to make sure that we have you know math teachers, coaches, you know counselors who you know kids can can relate to right. Um, and and it makes again it makes a huge difference right. Yeah. So um, well, you kind of brushed over. I bet people would be kind of shocked to hear that forty percent of your students aren't white. Yeah, in Provo, Utah, man. Like, We're hitting that number. That's, that's you know, crazy. It, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's approaching that for sure. If you look at Provo High School, if you look at Timview High School, if you look at a high school like uh, Mountain View, you know, these are all schools that are in, you know, in, in, in Utah County. Uh, yeah, all of those schools are approaching almost, you know, mid-30s, 40%, you know, uh, minority students, right? Well, and I think that's really interesting because you're going to have kids that grew up like you, but they're going to be making friends with... Some of the wealthiest people in the state are in the same. Boundary. I tell, look, man, I tell people all the time, right? I, in the one of the magical things about a public high school, right, is that you can have a kid, you know, in theory, right, whose 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 parents run a uh, the the largest venture capital firm in the state, sitting next to a kid who lives in a trailer that cost their parents, you know, $25,000, right? When right. they bought it. Now, you know, that was before inflation hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Conversation, right? That little trailer oh, might be worth a little more now. Yeah, uh, but, you know, it, but, but literally, I, we, I, literally, I literally have that dynamic, right? Where, where uh, or kids that play a sport together. Now, it, you know, we still have a lot of work to do for, you know, as much of an emphasis that we're placing on, on inclusion as a school. Uh, we yeah, still have work so, to do, right? And, yeah. and it's still scary for kids, they're so, you know, kids are, are, they're vulnerable, right? They're emotionally going through a lot of changes. And, and, uh, for them, when you say to them, look, go meet somebody new, go, ex- you know, meet somebody who doesn't mirror back to you, what you see every day of the week, what you see on Sundays, it's still hard for them, right? They're still kids. They're still insecure. Um, so again, but if we can model that as the adults, right? I, hopefully they can see that if we can model that as a mission, right? Uh, or entail that story, hopefully that's helping, right? Um, so talk just really quick before we kind of pivot, talk a bit, little bit about college because i think you are one of the only people i mean if you look at your resume right high school principal twice chief of staff at a university ivy league education i mean if anyone would preach every single kid needs to be in college it would be someone with <laughs> he, your pe- too smart for with, that. with your pedigree you know what i'm <laughs> saying but what i've appreciated that. is like your realistic approach to what it is yeah. right because college isn't maybe what it says it is, or there's a business side to it that people aren't willing to open their eyes to. That's all it is. 
and it's I mean, it, not all of it. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm, it's getting our country in massive trouble. It's insane. I'm sure you've heard of the saying, right? That your bachelor's, your BS is just, you know, like what I was saying earlier, right? It's just like yeah. bullshit, bullshit, right? Yeah. And then your master's is your MS, right? right. So it's more shit, <laughs> right? And your PhD is just piled higher and deeper, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, know, dude. You get doctor in front of your name. I think it was all know, uh I think you thing. either stop at bachelor there's uh, a, or high school. That's where I stop. Here, here's the thing, right? Or go I all mean, the way. Th- there's a role. There's a role for universities in this country and sure. in society, right? If you think of what distinguishes America as a nation, one of the things that distinguishes it is its ability to have these remarkable institutions of learning, where they're finding new things, they're looking for new solutions, they're innovative, right? They have that flexibility. Um, and you know, I'm grateful, right, that we have that, right? That there's that there's really, you know, smart people out there who care about, you know, how you can do better with technology, with energy, you know, with disease, um, that are studying that kind of stuff, right? Because that's what makes us better, right? As, yeah. as a society. Now, does every child need to take a route to, you know, career to profession through a PhD route? No, hell no. I hope not, right? That, I think it's that that's not the case, right? Unfortunately, in colleges today, a lot of professors that are teaching college went through a PhD, went through a training that that was geared towards, um, you know, being being researchers, right? And then they in turn go teach a English, you know, 101 class as if that kid who's in that 101 class wants to be a researcher. Guess what? They don't and they don't need to. And they don't need to, you know, uh, think that way. And maybe they need to think that way, but they certainly don't need to, you know, go spend. uh, uh, Understand learning how to ask a question is way more important than learning what the answer is. They need to learn to not pay to go to high school English again. Because <laughs> yeah. that's right. what English that's 101 right. is. Look here, and, <laughs> and, 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 crap. and here's the reality, right? Higher ed was was developed. It wasn't developed to educate all kids. It was developed no. to to weed out kids, right? It was right. developed to, you know, and the people. If you really look into the history of higher education, right, it's actually really messy, right? It was it was behaviorist to you know put together you know standardized tests to say you know only these group of people belong in in you know in, it was in meant to college. The kids who couldn't do that. That's right. It was meant, and and then since then we've tried to shovel these kids into that system. Which again, it, it for all the issues that it has, it has a role in society. Sure. I definitely believe that. But does every kid need to go to college and and uh, and and go get a master's or a PhD? To me, the answer is no. I mean, I think, I think. Um, well, I mean, education was designed for. It was designed to take a farmer and turn him into a factory worker. That's right. That's right. That's that. If you look at it, it, that was literally their mission was to take farmers and turn them into factory workers. And what are factory workers? They show up. They do their job. They don't ask questions. They are <clears throat> submissive, and then they go home and they move on. Right. right. Like that's what college is designed for to turn kids into this. <clears throat> and and if you look at if you look at our economy today, right? Kids kids are not going to go work um, at a job for thirty years and they can get a pension, right? Nope. They, they you know. Kids are are having to you know they're they're having to go into into uh, an an economic environment that requires a lot of creativity, a lot of sort of you know it's relationship sort of things, right? How do you how do you connect with others? How do you build business and and innovation for for services that people need, right? That um, that perhaps even don't exist yet, right? So so those are the skills that kids 
need to have, right? So does the kid need to calculate, uh, you know, trig in order to, you know, do some of that stuff? Maybe if he wants to go discover, you know, how a rocket works and and which is cool, right? Let's get those kids out there. I but, use trig on my briskets every day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're using chemistry, right? That's right. Uh, so, so you know, kids need skills still, right? I'm still, I hope people are not hearing me say that kids don't need, kids absolutely need skills to enter into a workplace and then into economy. But they're not getting the skills. That's right. We're lacking. We're lacking. Right? YouTube, That's what YouTube's better education than most, most of those. Well, people. how many of our guests that are insanely, insanely successful went to the school of YouTube? Yeah, yeah, I did. That's where I started. I would right? call me insanely successful. <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of successful. You're, you're, you're digging but, for a compliment. I'm not going to give yeah. it to you. You're, you're, you're just looking <laughs> Listen, for it. I did a birthday post yesterday. I got plenty of compliments. No, but but that's but that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. you can't. I can go out and learn anything that I want to, even trig, even you know what I'm saying. Like because well, the answer to the problem is not because of technology. So when education was created, the answers were hard to come by. Right, they were in the book, so you had to learn how to find them. Now, I can ask Siri, and I can get the answer to anything. Right, so it's not. It's not about knowing how to find the answer. The skill is knowing how to ask the question. That's right. And, but and no it, one's teaching that. That's right. And it, but if schools can do that, right? If schools, if schools can really, and, and there, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening in schools that perhaps they're not getting credit for. That I think is innovative. That's teaching kids. Like for example, at our school, every freshman that comes into our school, they learn how to work in. In, in a collaborative group, right? They learn how to advocate for themselves. When they when they don't know uh, an answer to a question, they we put they they we uh, we have teachers that put them in groups where the kid who doesn't know the question stands up in a group of four and they're asking their 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 classmates for help, right? They're learning how to organize their 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 planners. They're learning how to take notes. Uh, anyway, so there's skills like that, yep. that and, and there's stuff happening that's really cool in, in public schools, but not enough of it, right? Um, and, you know, back to your, in terms of, uh, if, if schools really focus on saying, hey, what are the skills that kids are going to need as they enter into, you know, whatever the workplace, whatever professions they're going into, you know, right now in 2022, I, I think the results would be, would be, would be different, right? We For get sure. so caught up on bells. We get so caught up in, on grades, right? Grades become currency, right? And unfortunately, a lot of schools are responding to the, to the, to the, uh, customer, right? Which are parents. And a lot of parents are so caught up in, does my child have an A? As opposed to saying, has my child learned a damn thing? Does that make sense? Because I'm telling you, there are classes that I've taken where I've gotten C's, where I where I learned a hell of a lot more than a class where and I got where I got an A. Does that make sense? For so sure. grades are not grades are not created equal, right? And learning is not equal. So you know, so part of their reaction from schools is they're also responding to what parents you know are sort of like well, valuing. It's the structure, right? right? You can only you can only do so much and, inside of what's what's rewarded. That's like what right. behavior. What's are rewarded. sad too is. Those are the customers that maybe we don't want talking to the schools because they're the ones freaking out about everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember the last time I looked at one of my kids' report cards. Like, if I know their homework's being turned in, I know they can read. Like, I know that socializing is way more important to me than – and, I mean, I have my background. Like, I look at my my school life, and I was like, I could have gotten an A in every class. Like, I know I'm smart. I just didn't like doing it. So, yeah. it's like 
I don't want my kids to just do that. But I was so terrified. Like the, the crap I tried to pull when report cards came out, like not coming home, hiding them, lying about them. Like I was so scared about grades. Like, but all along they had this smart kid that could go anywhere, talk to anybody. Teachers love me. Like, yeah, yeah. Like what, why was I in so much damn trouble all the time because of a freaking grade? Yeah. Well, cause that's where, that's where the value that, I mean, right. we, we've added a lot of value to, to grades, right? We've at, you know, we've defined success for kids as, you know, are you getting a 4.0? Are you a master pianist? Are you a professional athlete by the time you're, you know, 14? <laughs> um, are you, you know what I'm saying? Do you have a, uh, you know, are you perfect in essence in whatever, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents, we get so caught up in wanting our kids to be successful by our definition of success, right? Um, which is totally misplaced, right? Um, and uh, you know, last this last year, I gave a I gave a graduation talk, which um, it was interesting because it was my oldest daughter was graduating from high school, right? And and I was freaking out, right? Because I'm like, man, what am I going to say? You know, I'm a parent, you know, and I've given a lot of graduation speeches. This one was different. And I didn't have a speech like the day before because, you know, I was, I think, putting too much stock into it. And it finally came to me, right? And I gave this talk that has really resonated with with a lot of the parents that heard it. Uh, it because what I talked about, I just spoke from the heart, right? And I told, and I told the kids, I go, look, I'm going to talk to you guys as a parent today, not as a principal. And then I told the kids... You know, when when you guys were first born, right? Like when we first held you, like as as our little kids, um, I go. That's probably the one time you where you experienced unconditional love from us as parents, right? right. And then you took your first step, and when all of us thought, "Oh, I have an Olympic, you know, runner," right? <laughs> and then you read your first letter, and you're like, "I have a Nobel Prize." But even prize, then it, but right? it's like, hold on, you didn't walk until eleven months and two days. And yeah. this kid walked at ten months, and we start comparing, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden. We start putting conditions on the love that we have for kids, right? From wow. very early, right? We start to feel disappointment. We start to project to, onto the kids our expectations of success. And so I was telling, you know, this was my graduation speech, right? And, and, I, and I told the kids, I was like, look, we were screwed up as parents. And I'm sorry for that, right? Like, like I apologize collectively on behalf of all the parents to our graduating class. And I said, you know, some of us, you know, got to... Um, we climbed the ladder of success just to realize that the that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And I told them, really, the only thing that we can offer you as parents is just grace, right? Like, like, and and un- and, 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 a, and unconditional loves and remove expectations that we have because those expectations are ours, not necessarily yours, right? And and we've been like projecting our dreams onto you instead of you know actually just letting you grow up, letting you screw up, letting you fall on your face letting you get up. Um, and it's interesting, like I'm, I'm mentioning this because when I, this speech, right? Like parents actually, they were like, I got more feedback on that talk than anything else. Cause I gave parents permission to say, you know what? Like my child's success or failures are not mine. And I can, Correct. and I can step back and relax for a moment and, and just let them be who they are. Right. So all, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, the biggest tensions we have in schools, um, is a lot of misplaced expectations, right? And and I've been there as a parent, so I get it, right? I get that anxiety. But once I give parents permission to say, look, take a step back, right? Like like you're proje- you're projecting your own insecurities, you're projecting your own fears onto your kid, and that's not a healthy thing. No, well, and you think of your upbringing. Like 
I would love to talk to your parents when you were in tenth grade. And be like, <laughs> yeah, like, can you believe he's gonna he's gonna go to Columbia? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they were not raising you to go to an Ivy League school and become no, a doctor. You were not being like, no. They were just like, keep the lights on. That's right. But look what happened. That's right. Like, I feel like things are gonna happen the way they're supposed to happen. Like, I think what you say is so true. Like, I want I want my kids to talk to me. Like I want my kids to like right. be safe and talking to me about things. I want like our job I want to be them get out to of make, their way. Yeah, like Dodger wants to golf. Like I'm not setting up his like you want a tea time, like at Fox Hollow, you call. Yep. Like you make them do all those little things. Like yep. you've got to learn to socialize on your own and to have that agent that like you talked about, like the helicopter parents. It's just like you're just stealing, like you want your kid to be this. Yeah. But you're actually like really hurting their chances of being that by doing all the work for them. That's totally. right. That, that's the paradox. It's so, so sad. Well, like, so this weekend we were in New York with Cash, and it was funny because we've learned. I mean, Susan, I'll never forget the very first time she came on the podcast. She's like, "Make your kids order for themselves." Right. Right. Like so simple, but like it's something that stuck with me. And so, like anywhere we go, places like even my five-year-old, I'm like, if you want something, you have to ask this person and tell them exactly what you want. But so we're in New York and cash is going up to complete strangers in the big city. Right. I'm like, Hey, if you want this, go figure it out. Yeah. And like one time we sat back and Jen was like, I would have never been able to do this at his age. <laughs> like ever. I'm no. like, either would I, like even before my mission, like it was, the joke was like, my mom would call and order food for me. Cause I didn't want to. You know what I mean? And it was like, I didn't, I wasn't forced to do any of that kind of stuff. Well, the paradox, right? right? The, the parenting paradox, and I think it's also the, the, the paradox in schools is when you let go of control, that's when kids become the freest, right? Yeah. In the freest sense of themselves. Well, they're different than you. They're not and supposed they're, to be you. Like, they're supposed right. to be them. But can you be self-secure enough as a, as a parent? That's to it, right there. And, and, and do you have enough sort of security on who you are as a human to allow your child to do that, yeah. right? And that's it, um, because most parents think, if my child doesn't do this, what what is my neighbor is going to think that's about right. me? That's right. So your own is that's the bull not, that I hate. Not what they're going to think about the kid, More but it's like to add, if but. my kid doesn't do this, yeah. what's everyone going to think about? Like if my kid doesn't get into what BYU, that's right. What is everyone going to say about us? Oh, that's you right. suck as parents, right? Then. Right. Or if or if my child does, you know, we we have again cer certain expectations and certain benchmarks of what success looks like, but they're just backwards, right? Yeah. So again, back to the speech that I gave, I sort of flipped that idea on its back, right? And I told the kids, look, our expectations that we had about success were wrong, right? And and, and we've, we've messed up as parents and we probably have mistreated you because of that. So we need your grace now yeah, as you're, amazing. you know, in order for us to continue and having a, you know, a healthy relationship now as you go into adulthood. I, again, parents- They'll forgive you when they start doing it to their kids. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. They'll forgive you when they start doing it to their kids. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. But so, it's funny, like, it, it's, it is interesting. It's like, if somebody asks you, like, hey, you went to Columbia, you got a master's at BYU, like, what do I need to do? You're just like, all right, move into a labor camp <laughs> in a different country, make less than $20,000, like, and you just work, just let your kid go to school. Right. As long as he gets a 2.0, he's good. And then he'll, you know, he'll go on and get it. But isn't that interesting? That like, crazy? could you imagine yeah. somebody the parents like, would say to you, oh my gosh, like, wait, wait, what? 
Yeah. You mean I don't have to be at every parent teacher conference? I don't have to like call and put my kids' grades are low and blame it on the school or the teacher. Like it's it's interesting. Well, and like, that's part of the problem is everyone plays victim. Everybody. Everyone plays victim. And how easy would it have been, Fidel, for you to have played victim? Yeah. Immigrant, don't speak the language, don't make any money. How easy would it have been to blame society and everyone else around you? But you just, you learn to laugh, right? You learn yeah. to be happy. But then you also just learn to control what you can control. And now look what's happened. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's a danger, right, in in uh, projecting your failures to other folks, which is victimhood, right? Yep. And and don't get me wrong, man. There's 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 a lot of sh- crap that happens in in society um, where where we do have folks that are victims, right? That's and, true. And, and, That's and, very uh, true. I don't want to under right for sure, true. right? But but what what I'm saying is sometimes. You know, we when we sort of take on that label and we own it for too long, it, it, I think it it, it harms you, for right? Sure it does. It limits you. It, 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 you know, and I didn't. You can't move forward. You, you just can't. You can't, right? Because you know, you carry all that all that weight. Yep. You know, and you're projecting all that weight. You know, so so it makes it really difficult. So yeah, I mean, you know. I probably, you know, I didn't know what the word victim meant when I was in high school, you know, so I did it, you know, so uh, I just sort of, yeah, I was just, you know, it was just life, right? It was just life. Uh, I didn't know any different. Um, well, there were probably a lot of kids around you going through the same thing. Like, yeah, I did. I had normal. a lot of, a lot of friends where it was just, you know, my life was just normal, right? Yep. Um, so, so here we are now, right? And, and as an educator, um, I, I'm trying to funnel, right? Although and and inner sort of intertwine all these lessons, right? That I've that I've grown up with, all these experiences, and and trying trying to create community, edu- an educational community, where hopefully all those all those all those ideas inform, right? What I'm trying to do as a school leader and, and as a community leader, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand how it works. Like, I'd love to talk a little bit about what we were talking about before, just how school districts have. Different, you know, we were talking about Alpine. Like I was kind of complaining about Alpine School District and property mm-hmm. taxes, and but what's interesting about your district that you were talking to us about before is BYU and IHC. Like you've got <laughs> when you look at, I don't think people understand this, right? Like especially with the school like Timpview that still has that. Well, even like when he, when I came that, in and I told him about like the funding, you're like they got plenty of money. Right, that, that was like the first comment. Right? right, you would think that. Yeah. But then I was so interested to hear, like, where I live, everybody pays their property taxes, and holy hell, like 80%, 90% of it goes to Alpine School District, right? So I never really thought about the fact that here, like, your boundary alone, how much of it is student housing, one, which yeah. I guess you get property tax from that. But does BYU pay property taxes? I don't believe they do. They're a <laughs> private institution. Here comes the politician. <laughs> uh, oh. To my understanding. Well, look, here's the, here's the reality, right? Uh, public school funding is one of, you know, it's a hotly debated topic, right? right? Because um, you have the state that puts in money, right? They, they allocate a WPU, which every, you know, it's basically a, a, a funding number that every kid, you know, that goes to school. Is it, is it equal gets. or yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. So that's the same across across the whole state of Utah, right? So like a school up like where I live where there's, 
you know, yeah. people on the hill. They're getting the same getting amount of money WPU from the state as the kid as down somebody in, from like down here in Provo or, or somebody in St. George, right? So when the Wild. state when the state legislature sets their education budget, they base it on on this WPU, right? Now, historically in it, Utah, which is like a cost per head essentially. Yeah, right? it's it, yeah, it's a weighted pupil unit is what yeah. they call it, right? So. You know, I, I, you can probably Google it what it is today. It's probably somewhere in the six to $7,000, right? So, uh, and again, I, I, I'm just, you, we could look it up and get the exact number. But yeah, so every school district in, in Utah, if they have 13,000 kids, they, they get, you know, 13,000 kids times whatever, whatever that, that WPU is, yeah. is, right? So then, so there's, so everybody gets the same. Now in Utah, that number has been historically low. And in fact, it's been the lowest in, in the entire U.S., right? Why is what? that? What? Like, why? Um, you know, like, if like, you, like, what is that just because the legislation, the, we have surplus like the politicians <laughs> don't think they need to yeah, give there's, more? Yeah, you know, or, there's, I mean, we, you know. And I to can, your point, it's very hotly debated. It is. It's hotly debated. And, and we could have a, a lengthy conversation about why that is. I mean, you'll have folks that will say, well, look, you know, in, in Utah, you have more kids than you do in, you know, in other places. So that's why, you know, we're the lowest. The, you know, there's there's a lot of different reasons, right? Um, you know, but we're still pretty low. If I think if you were to Google it and say, you know, where does Utah funding stand, it's still among some of the lowest in the country. Really? Right. The WPU. That WPU part, right? Right. So that's one part of the funding. And the other half of the of the funding comes through property taxes, right? That that uh, school districts generate depending on their location, right? So if you live in a place like Alpine, you have, uh, you know, you have access to a lot of property. You know, you have a lot of property, a lot of property, high property values, and you know, you can generate a lot more money than if you live in in an area that's impoverished, right? So that so that that funding mechanism really creates some inequality, right? Because bad, it's bad, like bad, bad. That's bad, bad. <laughs> and and then once you live, once you leave Utah, right? You go to places where you know, again, the structures are very similar in other states, but you know, you can be living in, you know, the the. Areas that have the most poverty have the least mo- amount of money, right? Because they have the lowest values. Sure. You know, if you go to a place like Heber, right? Right. Ironically, Heber has better funding than Provo. I can't Provo. afford to live in Heber anymore. And, and they have, you know, all those all those homes uh, that have high values, you know, they pay, you know, a, a good chunk sure. of change uh, in, in property values towards education. So that's why they're better funded than other school districts. So that's, I mean, I'm simplifying, you know, there's there's more nuance to all of this stuff, but it, it is tricky, right? The funding that goes towards education. Um, and, and yet it's expensive to educate kids, right? I mean, you know, listen, 25% of the kids that come into my high school don't read at grade level, right? 14 year olds that are reading below grade level, right? right. And how do I, how do I take, that kid, I have four years with them. How do I get them to read and to be successful in high school when they can barely read? I mean, basic stuff like that, right? They're not doing math where they need to be doing. So and maybe they don't have access to internet. Technology is a whole different right? thing, right? So educating a kid is expensive, right? Then you add a child who has a learning disability, right? Um, it's not cheap to educate a child who has a learning disability, right? And and it shouldn't be, right? And And yet... That's where again funding becomes really essential, right? I and and um and well, I got so much respect for teachers to hearing this, like what does your average teacher make at your high school? Probably um, you know, 
on average probably sixty thousand. Okay, so sixty thousand into you know today's market, right? Which is, I mean, it's good, but it's not like they're living high. No, right? No, I mean, think about it, right? What does it cost to I mean, rent just, an apartment? You I mean, know, you, today, right? Yeah. Um. So, but like you think about that, and then you expect this teacher to be able to identify these students, how they learn, teach them differently. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. you're asking them to do so much. Well, you can have, you know, in a classroom of 30 34 kids, 35 kids, you might have, you know, half of those or, you know, you maybe you have 60% of those kids that are reading where they need to be. Then you've got 40% that don't, so you got to think about. Then within that class you might have you know, six kids that are learning English as a second language. You might have another five or six kids who have a learning disability, right? Um, then you have two or three kids like, you know, like Cam who have a behavioral disability, <laughs> right? And Wait, then, how did you know that? You know? <laughs> wow, you really do have a PhD. Uh, uh, so, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a tricky thing to do, right? Try teaching you know, uh, uh, and you're trying to teach them Shakespeare, right? Which, again, that's another conversation. Should we be teaching kids Shakespeare? Hell no. 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 <laughs> we shouldn't be teaching them trigonometry Easy. either. No. Or even it's calculus teacher, in high school. Be. No. Like, we shouldn't be learning. It's such a waste of time. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to, I got to play devil's advocate here for a second with teachers. Because, see, I don't think teachers is necessarily the issue as much as funding for maybe it be programs or specialty educators. Like, $60,000 a year. How many work days is that? Like that's what people don't factor in. Like I'm probably gonna get mad. I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this. For what now? For the how many days worked do you make your sixty thousand a year? A lot of people make six thousand dollars a year working three hundred plus days. So like last year, I had a little issue. I mm-hmm. I spell checked my kids' book report right. So he had to go to bed. So he's like, as long as it checks out, just hit enter so it sends in. It was graded instantly. By like a computer program. It's like, what the hell? Like the teacher didn't even have to correct this. And then he gets two weeks off for some made up holiday. I was like, the, that's my struggle, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I, I'll, I have friends that are teachers just like, we only make this, we only make that. I'm like, okay, but you only work half the year and there's more days off now for kids than I've ever seen ever. Like it's the unpopular argument, but that's why I'm saying I don't know that it's about paying teachers more. It's more about hiring more of them, funding programs. And I mean, yeah, so, I mean I, this is all a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this it, is not it's, saying it's, that I, I mean, know. it's a fair question, right? Because that's what folks see from the outside when you're peering into a school. Um, what, what, what you're not seeing, right, is the, the, the volume of work that a teacher's taking home. For sure. Right? So, like, for example. But that's why when, that, when I turned in that book report, I was like – um, Are teachers still correcting papers, or is there just a computer? Yeah, that, that and that's does a good question. I mean, I think a good teacher is doing the work themselves. They are reading the papers. They're giving the kids the feedback. They're grading the math assignments. You know what I mean? Yeah, because this and, thing was graded, sent right back. Yeah, done. right, right. I was kind of shocked by that. Well, and then you're talking about an elementary school as well. Yeah, right. This so is you know, in elementary and and elementary schools will have fewer kids, right? I mean, a teacher in elementary school teaches, you know. 30 kids perhaps on right. average versus a, a high school teacher will have, you know, again, 180, 200 kids in their, on their roles that they have to, you know, be teaching. Right. Does that make sense? Right. So that's something to think about. I never thought, you know, the, yeah, you have a different group every The hour. other thing, yeah. the other thing that people don't realize is how emotional, how emotionally taxing it is to teach. Oh, right. Can only so imagine. when you stand up for, 
you know, one hour of trying to control a group and trying to give them a lesson, trying to sort of walk them through a process, that's pretty damn taxing. Now you multiply that and then by you do that eight times a day. Or yeah, seven right. Times a day, yeah, seven and you times have to a change day. It up for every group. And you have to keep the same energy with it, right? Um, you know, how do you account for that, right? And, sure. and the ability to do that. How do you account for, again, you know, we push teachers really hard, right, to make sure that they are emotionally connecting with kids, that they're creating safe environments, that they look out for all these different learning interests, right, of kids. So you have to become really an expert, right, in how to how kids learn, right? And, you know, we're also, teachers are also dealing with, you know, all of the sort of, you know, the, the, the socioeconomic, you know, different uh, variables, right? And- then you're dealing also with, you know, the emotional uh, stability or instability oh, of social kids, media, right? It should get an extra twenty grand. You're dealing with, with you're dealing, <laughs> you know, with with the societal pressures, right? Yeah. You might have a kid that walks into your school wearing a "Make America Great Again" hat, and then you might have a child in there who's saying that's insulting to me. A teacher has to deal with that, right? Then you're dealing, you know, with a child who you know, was was abused the day before, right? Um, physically abused, and they come to you for help, right? And and as a teacher, you're dealing with that, right? See, and that's the sad um, part. I, for me, that's what I'm saying. I, It's so unfair to ask a teacher to do any of that. I but mean- that's, but, but we're not funded, right? I mean, right. you know, like at my school, I have one social worker and an intern, right? right. For 2,500 kids. Right, it's crazy. Right, and, and again- so yes, when you, so on paper you say okay, the teacher has a 180 day contract. They're getting paid sixty thousand. Uh, they're making X amount of day in comparison to a dude who's out there working construction. You know they have to work you know three hundred days a year to do that. But again, it's it's hard because then you're you're not comparing. It, it, it's unfair, right? The comparison because of the work that that that's happening. You know from bell to bell. Are there bad teachers out there? Absolutely. Well, and, see, and, there, and there are it's, teachers. It's almost like the police, the argument of like defund the police. Right. Right. It's sim- it almost sounds like you can argue but, but similar types of arguments. But the police don't get 180-day contracts, That's right? That's true. But That's see, very here, true. Here's, but my point, and, and I don't want to be misunderstood here because people will be pissed at me, but it's not that the teachers uh, – I, I guess what I'm saying is what is the hardest thing about teachers, in my opinion, is that all of that falls onto them. Yeah. Like, I think like if you're working 180 days and if all they have to do is teach, I think that's a pretty fair number, right? But that's the part that I'm that I was talking about is what's so sad about the funding is you should have five or six social workers or psychologists or counselors to work with yeah. kids. Like we should have plenty of funding for sports and after school programs, like, like because all that stuff ends up falling onto the teachers. Yeah, I don't expect the teacher to have to do all that. But it, you're making my argument. So well, that's so, what I'm saying. So, I think we agree. So I have a question for you. If you had extra money, do you think it would be more beneficial to pay teachers more or to hire more at the same rate? You know, that's a that's a it's a tricky question, right? Because when I hire a, a new teacher, at least in our community, right? Uh, I can't speak for other communities. And I, and and a first year teacher is going to make you know forty five, fifty thousand dollars, right? What can you do with that? With, with those resources, right? I mean, after you pay rent, um, after you pay your car payment, after you, you know, there's, there's, you know, and, and we're talking about, you know, after four years of college, right? If you have a student sure. loan, right? Well, it, you can't really go get like a but like, steady job. In, in independent of that, for the benefit of the student, independent of their living situation, uh-huh. I'm just talking about for the benefit of the school or the student, 
do you think it would be better to have more teachers or more of them making that amount of money Mm -hmm. so they could spread the workload out or would it be more beneficial to pay more that maybe you're going to get a more experienced person that knows how to handle that better? Yeah. Or, or three C programs like, uh, counselors. Yeah. Um, more coaches, more but I, whatever. But that's kind of number one though. So that falls underneath my umbrella of number oh, okay. one, like so, to bring in more humans. So here's the thing, right? Like there's, there's, you know, research shows, right? That, a, that, a, that a teacher who's a really skilled teacher, who really understands how learning works, who really understands good teaching practices, um, those, those like they're golden, right? And they can help a kid who's behind, you know, a year or two in reading make, catch up in six months, yeah. right? So the better question is, how do you develop that type of skill? Does that huh. make sense? In a, in a teacher? Okay. And that might require more training. That might require that teacher to perhaps teach so, a little bit less so, so they can spend C, time, right? Yeah, you sure. know, spend it on trainings. Well, that's, that's now we can go back to the cop argument. Yeah, right? that's exactly like that's, what it is. So, so it's, uh, you know, so if you can have really high quality, you know, teachers that stay in the profession as well, right? That's retention is important, right? We haven't brought up that conversation because you do have, at least here in this community, on average, you know, the teachers aren't staying for a long time. And it just, it takes time, right? Just like you guys know, in any profession, it takes time for you to become really good at at what you do. Your, you know, your 2000 brisket probably tastes a lot better than number 20, you know what I mean? It does. <laughs> so, you know, the point that I'm making is that, it, you know, if you can retain teachers, give them a living wage where they can afford to live in the communities that they that they live in, if they can, you know, um, uh, have the, you know, have opportunities to really become, develop their, their, their trade, their, their qualities as a, as a, as a professional, those things are what, what are going to make the, the biggest difference, right? I mean, it's, it's, Fewer, I'm finding fewer and fewer teachers that are staying for the long haul, right? That are making careers out of their, you know, a 20, 30, you know, 35 year career. And those are the teachers, man, that by the time they, you know, they hit year 15, right? They're killing it because they've just, they've, they've become really seasoned, right? And part of that's funny. In fact, that's supposed to make it worth it, right? Like pensions and everything else. Like it's like, but like to get there, it's hard. Yeah. Cause like, so like we have, our most favorite nanny ever, Annie, she's going to graduate soon and be a teacher. And she's like, I love this. I'm going to school for it. I love the kids, but she has a side business. She's like, I can make two times the amount of money doing something else. And that's a great point too. You have these very smart people. That- you know I mean? They're very talented so they can easily go and do yeah. something else to get paid more. When a teacher's doing it right, when they're, when they're, when they're really paying attention at an individual level, when they're learning, how to become better each day when they are, you know, uh, grading, giving the feedback when they're t- doing it, when they're doing teaching, right. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's exhausting. Sure. And yeah, there's teachers that give other teachers a bad name. There's no question. Right. And they, and there's folks who went into the profession that shouldn't be there. Right. And, 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 uh, that's uh like everything, like in everything, everything else. Everything. Right. Uh-huh. But man, everything. like, is, is the job easy? No, man, it's tough. You're dealing with human beings. Right. Well, and, I learned and, a whole uh, perspective, like learning beings. from you this last little while. Like, yeah. Like, Dude, I'm dealing with this. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm dealing with this. I'm like, oh, hold on. But, how? See, but see, that's why we have to ask those questions. Like for sure. I knew that my question was not going to be a popular question. 
But at the same time, like it's that's a fair how, question, but man. it's a fair question. A fair and that's question how we learn. Ask. Absolutely. Cause to hear what a teacher, cause see, I totally forgot about the elementary to high school thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like now damn straight, get the computer software to read the book <laughs> report. Cause I don't expect you to read 180 book reports. Right. Like yeah. that's different, but, but yeah, it's, it's, and just so to clarify the number, we're 50th out of 51. Okay, Still. so we went up, but we went up. We went one. up one. Yeah. Idaho is now number, or now is number 51. They were 100. So we pay 8,000. This is 2019, 8,014 per student per fiscal year. Yeah. And so, but see, the living wage is the other thing too that I never thought about. Living near the community, because cops deal with that too. Like That's right. Like a lot of them have to live 20, 30 miles away from where they work because they can't afford to live there. And so, yeah. you know, like the church subsidizing for missions, like it really should, like the fact that our education system is just given a flat fee per head is asinine. Yeah. I mean, it really that is so crazy to me. Well, and if you think about it, okay, eight thousand dollars. You know, like man, that sounds like a lot. That's not a lot. No well, way. but think about it, right? I know, I know families that pay, you know, a lot of money for their kids to play a sport, right? Think about how many, how much they're spending for, oh. it. Or, or they're paying a lot of money to go on a vacation, or they're paying, you know. And here we are, you know. That's that's what we're saying. You know, we're going to put eight thousand dollars to educate one kid, right? Well, what what is that worth, right? What is that education worth? Because if you think about how much does it cost to to keep somebody, you know, incarcerated, right? I mean, it's a lot more than 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 that, right? Um so um so yeah, I mean, I think I think back to to the conversation we were having about teachers, right? I mean, it's it's a, it's a very sort of nuanced, you know, conversation. I think it I think the questions you're asking are, are absolutely fair um, because I think transparency is important, right? For sure. But um, I think a lot of folks don't realize how complicated it is to get a child to feel excited about what they're what they're learning and doing it at their most vulnerable sort of stages in life, right? Uh, I mean, kids kids when they enter when they're 14 and they come to our school, anyways, they're starting to go through puberty. They're feeling insecure. They're feeling, you know, their bodies are changing. Their minds are changing. And we want them to feel excited about, you know, learning, right? And about what's coming in the future. So it's not an easy task at all. Uh, And, you know, the people who do it well earn every one of those, you know, dollars, right? See, and that's the other thing. Like every five years, there should be a retention bonus, raise, effort, something, right? But see, the other thing is we're not factoring is social media. I would say these kids are probably showing up smarter than any 14-year-old in in the past hundred oh, years, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's even more complicated. It, but they also know how to use the snowflake system, right? Like, you can't say that to me. I'm offended. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. and then their parents will back them up. So, so you're right. All stuff that I didn't think about because it yeah. isn't apple. I mean, it's apples and oranges, man. It's it's yeah. so different. So, so I can't wait till you're governor. That's good question, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're good. All right, fellas. All right, well, hey, part one is over. Part one. There's going to become a part two of this. I can't wait. Good stuff, man. Good stuff.